just getting set up. Give me a couple of minutes, a couple of seconds. <clears throat> hello, hello. Hey, hello. How are you? I am doing fine. Good, good. How is the weather over there? Ah, uh, decent. Yeah, not too cold, not too hot, something in between. Nice. That sounds sounds yeah. very pleasant. It's gone. Oh yeah, it it's is. gone very cold here in the last week, couple of weeks. How cold? Oh, that's a good question. I guess down to minus four in the evenings and and about one or two in the day. Wow, is it snowing? There was a bit of snow, quite a bit of snow actually, a couple of days ago, and it still stuck around a little bit. It was nice. Hmm. I Very see. Hollow. Do you have any any plans for a winter vacation? Survive. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, try and try and keep as warm and stay out of trouble as usual. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, same. You know, there is this uh, Chinese curse. Sounds like wish you lived through interesting times. Ah, you know? okay. Yeah, uh, this is kind of uh, what I feel is going on. Like interesting times, <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> Every time I open uh, any news outlet, I'm like, "What the hell is going on out there?" Yeah. Like, should I even should I, should I even you know step outside uh, without a helmet? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think today is going to be relatively slow space, uh, as I see from the attendance and also from the events uh, around the industry in general and Beam in particular. Everybody is uh, kind of uh, prepare, preparing for holidays in some way. In Israel, it's Hanukkah, so everybody is eating a lot of um, pastry. Uh, there is this kind of uh, traditional, I don't know how to call it, it's basically like a uh, circular think with some feeling inside okay. of it. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, usually or like historically, it was like something simple, but these days with all of the uh, kind of fancy uh, uh, ideas go going on, so like every bakery is trying to outdo the competition by creating, you know, very sophisticated, like filled with different feelings and toppings and all that. Uh, and it's like really, you know, they present it as the winter collection of 2022. Like, you would not believe <laughs> it. Um, uh, yeah, so like you, you can go around town, like choose your poison in various bakeries. Yeah. Next, I'll be handing out NFTs with uh, with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's really it's really going this way. Um, uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, if you uh, are following the news, slipped to the third place in terms of the most expensive cities to live in. Nice. We were the first. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, uh, I don't know, like if you ever have ever been, but like being inside Tel Aviv, you would never have believed it. But the prices here are absolutely crazy. Like yeah. for everything. Um, I mean, have I'm you gonna... have you noticed like prices getting even crazier in the last year or so? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely for, um, you know, uh, like real estate, uh, flats, houses, like to rent, to buy, uh, went up, I think, like, I don't know, maybe 20%, something crazy, like 10%. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, everything is rising. And um, uh, the funny story about Tel Aviv is that for the last, I don't know, 200 years, they're building a kind of uh, underground something here, like, you know, should have been like an underground but it's basically a tram that goes like halfway uh on top of the city and halfway like uh in, in underground inside some yeah. tunnels and um the idea was that it should really improve the situation with the traffic because the traffic has been terrible there are a lot of um you know jams everywhere and like so what happened this construction process is that they have dug up like the entire city. We now have more digs than Rome. I don't know. It's, it's unbelievable. Everywhere you go, there is some construction going on. So it became much worse in hope that one day it will become much better, but that day is still kind of really far away. Yeah. 
and disables the center of the city and make it kind of a green zone where you have to pay special price to get in there. So there are a lot of mess going on. And uh, yeah, that's why we have decided to, to move to some house a little bit further away from this mess. So next month we'll be moving to a kind of uh, further away location uh, somewhere in the Mediterranean, like a small kind of village nice. thing. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the plan for us. So we're kind of preparing, preparing to move. Exciting times, and 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 can definitely <laughs> relate to like the green zone charges or whatever. I I don't have a car, but if I did and it was oh, fifteen years old or something like this, every time you drive it, you have to pay. 15 quid because I'm in some green, green zone. Every Yeah, thing. like every... So if you use oh, it... <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I, I'm i not going to buy an old car and probably not going to buy any any car. <laughs> I would take the train. No, like, uh, you know, uh, at least you have... Uh, in London, you have decent uh, transportation. You have, uh, you know, the, the underground is, is really covering yeah. the city. And uh, it's not it's not the case here. Here it's all yeah. buses and, you know, shouting <laughs> and, uh, and honking, uh, which is mostly a cultural thing. You know, people here really like this, you know. If you, if you, uh, you know, uh, on the, in the lights and the light is green and there is like one-tenth of a second has passed yeah. and you didn't move, that's it. And, that's, and, that's and you kind of have to, like I in Dubai, it was a little similar, like honking and stuff. And I, I went driving with one of my friends who's English and like kind of quiet and, and like softly spoken and this stuff. But when he was driving, he was just bah, 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 on the horn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was kind of fun. I kind of uh established a new love for for honking the horn <laughs> yeah, i mean it's nice when you're visiting but when you are living inside it's messy man. It's, sure. it's something else uh <laughs> okay so uh, despite being uh, you know slow news week some things did happen and i would like to kind of talk about them um less about beam uh, because we are planning Two things. First of all, as you know, there is Beam Birthday coming up on January the 3rd, and we are going to publish a roadmap update with a lot of information about what's going on and where it's all headed. Uh, and probably uh, next week, we're also going to dedicate a space to kind of in-depth discussions about Beam. I know that there are a lot of uh, different sentiments in the community about enabling and disabled confidential assets. Uh, we will address all that, uh, I promise. We're not uh, uh, avoiding the subject. But today I would like to mostly talk about something kind of more global, but still very, very related to BIM, uh, weirdly. And um, what triggered this kind of um, uh, discussion was this extremely, I would say, strange um, proposal that was submitted to the United States Senate. It's called, and um, let me quote here, the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I, I had a brief look at this today. So it's it's crazy. I mean, like, any way you look at it, right? So basically what it says is, listen, if you are developing tools, like, I mean, okay, if you are laundering money or if you're operating a money transfer business or whatever, yeah, I can understand. But even if you're a developer, it seems that, like, it says that you need to uh, track every user, everybody who is using the software that you have developed yeah. and uh, identify and record the personal information. Uh, that's why probably, you know, we have so many listeners, uh, so like so few listeners, because, like, they know they will have to submit, you know, they, their, <laughs> their KYC at the end of the, yeah. of the space. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely insane, and um, um, it, it's kind of, um, uh, I think, partially motivated by this uh, FTX story, but um, the thing is that it has absolutely no way of preventing, uh, you know, FTX-style situations, because FTX was eventually about a very simple misuse of customer funds to finance your own uh, uh, poorly considered investments, right, basically. So that's what it was. And it has absolutely no relation to cryptocurrencies and obviously not to 
confidentiality yeah. in general. Um, the guy was arrested, uh, by the way, from what I heard, and uh, it's very interesting to see like what go on uh, because uh, it turns out like all this time they had these secret indictments that they kept kind of uh, uh, you know didn't publish them until like the moment that they arrested him. But actually, three different departments, the SEC, Department of Justice, and FinCEN or whatever, like, are all uh, presenting various charges about fraud and uh, all that. Um, so, yeah, it, it is going to be a development. But regardless of that, um, the crypto is just being, um, you know, piled on by politicians, um, basically trying to control, I don't know, things that are absolutely absurd. Yeah, and it's case. really, like you mentioned, it's really weird to be attacking crypto in a regulatory manner, uh, given that, like, what's happened recently with FTX and, and a few other things has pretty much nothing to do with crypto, uh, in its essence, at least. Like, I, I mean, it's a centralized exchange and they were just doing weird fraudulent stuff that can happen anywhere it's not kind of uh solely to do with crypto i mean it's happened in in traditional finance and this kind of stuff obviously like there's not a huge amount of regulatory kind of standards in place for certain changes in this but even if there was and they were i mean from what it sounds like they were just doing whatever they wanted anyway so I mean, <laughs> yeah. the people that are breaking the law aren't going to not break new laws that you put in place. Yeah, so that's exactly the point. So the thing that was happening at FTX is actually uh, exactly opposed to all of the guiding principles of uh, you know Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency in general. Because uh, when you are talking about Custody, for example, which is one of the um, most, I think, kind of interesting topics that are developing as a result of a fiasco with FTX, is the fact that people understand now that even if it seems like a very large institution, and after all, FTX was considered the number two exchange in the world, uh, it does not really guarantee anything. So this very basic principle of not your keys, not your funds, is suddenly, uh, you know, becoming more obvious to more people after they are losing their uh, money left and right, being locked in all kinds of strange organizations, uh, FTX being one of them. And there is a um, kind of stampede to withdraw funds into all kinds of worlds. The problem is that in, in today's world, it's very difficult to manage and so the self-custody mechanisms. Uh, yeah, if you are like a private person like you or me, uh, we have our keys, we, we, we keep them safe, we buy a hardware wallet. But if you are an organization, um, it's much more difficult. And there are no good solutions out there today. Like There are some, but they're either very expensive and difficult to manage, so they're only appropriate for really large organizations like banks or exchanges. But if you're like a small organization and you're trying to keep your crypto safe and use multi-sig and uh, manage your keys properly, uh, and understand what to do when somebody is fired or you know leaves the organization, uh, and how to reassign their keys and resign all of this stuff. So it's very very difficult to manage. Yeah, uh, which causes a lot of problems. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's especially at this stage. Like I assume, in a few years from now, there'll be far more uh, solutions for for smaller operations and this kind of thing. Like even even looking a few years in the past, there was even less than there is now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it is correct. Uh, I hope it, so. Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, organizations and the companies are working in this direction. So uh, using uh, uh, MPC as, as you know part of the solution or other mechanisms uh, that allow you to manage uh, shared secrets. But it's still yeah, it's still very very kind of um, I don't know how far it is, but like the, the technology is there. But to make it ubiquitous, to make it usable. Um, it, it requires time, both in terms of you know the awareness that you know people know how to work with these things. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely going in the right direction, but uh, uh, it's definitely not there yet as yeah. well, right? Absolutely. So, so this is kind of um, 
one one uh, basic thing that people still kind of understand. And now, at least with that awareness, like more and more um, projects, you know, when they consider, uh, you know, developing some solution in the crypto world, they understand that people would probably like self custody and would like to control these or this. So this is a a positive outcome, I would say, or positive thing that uh, uh, we can see, like following this crazy fiasco. Um, another thing is that people are also, you know, becoming more aware of these, I would say, <laughs> benefits of transparency, like not in terms of um, everybody should know uh, everything about you, but in terms of you should know what's happening with your funds, yeah. right? Um, because when you are uh, using a centralized service and you have these terms of service, which was, by the way, one of the ma main vectors of attack uh, used by years uh, of Sam uh, Bankman-Fried over the last months that he was uh, doing this uh, com weird campaign with the press, uh, telling them how he didn't know about $10 billion. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, like he did say in the terms of use that we are not supposed to use your funds uh, for these purposes. Uh, but, uh, you know, we just mislabeled a few accounts and, you know, these funds got. So when you are uh, using a DeFi protocol, even though it's far from perfect in terms of the tools that you have today to, to monitor your holdings, you still have like paradoxically enough, you have more visibility into what's going on with yeah. your money. Uh, you have less, like, uh, how, how would I put it? It's kind of a different type of danger, right? So in terms of um, control, like how much, you do have control, but you need to understand a different set of things. Like for example, when you are going to uh, a centralized institution, you need to understand how it's regulated, uh, how it's operating, etc., what reputation it has. When you go to the decentralized protocol, you need to understand how it's built, how it's operating on the more technical level. But it's something that, um, at least for, like, I would say, people with technical knowledge, people who can, um, you know, it, it, it's it's open. You can read the code. Like maybe you you can't, but somebody can. And if there is enough um, people reviewing, auditing, and uh, uh, testing these protocols. It's better than having a completely, you know, opaque system that you just have to trust on some level to to manage your funds. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so this is something that uh, I think also um, will bring more awareness, which is good, uh, towards decentralized tools and how they can be used to increase your uh, level of safety and uh, uh, eventually allow you to manage your funds, uh, digital assets better. Mm. Um, yeah, so an another interesting thing, and this is something that uh, is not directly related to FTX, but it is related to, um, you remember this uh, Robin Hood story with the GameStop? Uh, the one where they had a bunch of people buying like options and, and then they stopped trading, like they, you could only sell or something like this. Yeah. Yes, it was this kind of a short squeeze uh, where people were running a stock uh, kind of price very high so that the short position would eventually run out of collateral to pop yeah. and fall. Um, so th this is something that uh, I, I always uh, kind of um, thought about as, you know, rare occurrence or like a, or a problem with, with management because they stopped trading and then people got frustrated. But... Uh, Recently, I heard another perspective on this story, so I wanted to kind of share this thought because I found it really, uh, really, really kind of interesting, not something that I thought about before. Like, the fact that they could not provide this collateral fast enough is actually also a settlement speed problem, right? So you have, to, when you want to move money today for any purpose, and whoever is using uh, uh, Swift or whatever to pay people from, from abroad or receive uh, you know, payments from abroad, knows that, that it takes a lot of time. You go through several banks in the process. Sometimes money gets stuck somewhere and don't receive it. Um, and uh, it's it's difficult, right? It's, it's time consuming. It's not simple. It has to go through a lot of hands. 
And this is also something that crypto actually solves, like in terms of, you know, speed of settlement. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a positive kind of, um, you know, it's a very positive aspect. Like if you establish a system which is both reliable and much quicker in terms of having less intermediaries, having less uh, hands to that your, your money has to go through and all of this bureaucracy that is involved, uh, it, it can actually help you to get out of such situations when you need to suddenly post a lot of liquidity and, you know, it takes a lot of time to gather it from somewhere. Um, yeah, so that's, that was something that I kind of haven't thought about before. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And I mean, like, it it, it makes sense for crypto and, and like this kind of always online for transactions and this kind of thing, especially now, like everyone's lives are so ingrained in online communities or social media and this kind of stuff. And they're always uh, like in communication with one another. And then if they do want to send a some money or whatever they need to use their bank and they have to wait for their bank to send the transaction or they need to go into the bank and, and, and sign off on it because nowadays it's, it's difficult to even send money from one bank to another. And so it makes sense for it to be more like real time and as, and when you wish. Absolutely. So, uh, before we go, like talk about a little more about social media, and this is like one of the topics that we wanted to discuss. Um, in Israel right now, there is a lot of uh, uh, kind of new banking applications. You know what I mean? Like kind of digital bank or like send somebody funds or whatever. Like is this something that you like uh, transfer wise and and these kind of things like challenger banks or. Uh, yeah, but they, they position themselves as kind of better alternatives to, to regular banking services. Yeah. So you download some application and then you can deposit funds there. You can send funds to your friends there and, uh, you know, do all kinds of uh, uh, simple financial operations. Now, obviously, it's not a uh, replacement for the bank. It's actually this kind of uh, layer on top of a regular bank yeah. service. They kind of operate under under the umbrella or whatever of of rank in many cases right yeah usually or in, in many cases these applications are also created by the banks yeah. or the companies are acquired by banks to to operate these services uh but they all trying to position themselves uh, as kind of better you know your bank is bank is old like we are we are the new the new yeah. wave uh and uh, it's it's strange because uh how can you improve you know, a service when essentially what you're doing is using the old service and just wrapping it better. Um, <laughs> but when something goes wrong, you're still in the same yeah, situation. Like, like paying, like having an old shitty car that, that can't go fast and then painting it bright red or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Attaching, attaching this, uh, this wing, you know, like this, uh, <laughs> you see this old, uh, I don't know, Toyota with this huge wing uh, in yeah. the back. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't make it faster. No, no. <laughs> something, something right, like I, right idea, yeah. but poor execution. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, with the social media also, like we now have um, something very strange is going on. So first of all, Twitter, I, I don't know what they're doing, uh, blocking accounts, unblocking accounts. Uh, there is total chaos there in terms of, um, uh, I, I don't know how to put it, in, in terms of like even providing the best standing of what, you know, what become once this strange is over. Yeah. Uh, they recently, I heard, I, I didn't confirm it, but I heard they recently fired their uh, team responsible for uh, like censorship or something. There was this story about it. So I don't know, like it's it, something strange is going on. Um, like, or, or news like uh, Elon Musk blocked the Twitter account that tracked flight of his private plane. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't hear that, but I, I'm, I'm definitely not surprised. And, and <laughs> uh. yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's very, it's very weird. So the problem is that uh, even though there is this 
I don't know if consensus, but there is a lot of talk about decentralized social media. Yeah. In re in reality, um, from like what I saw, there are still no like good alternatives. Uh, have you used any of these? Like I don't know, Mastodon or uh, other kinds of social media, which is supposedly decentralized. I'm very bad at using social media in general. <laughs> Although I I have tried out one, and I can't remember. I can't remember what it was. I, I vaguely remember what it was. It's called Lens Protocol or something like that. And I think it may have been from the guys that created Aave, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. It's one of the more, more popular this ones. It's the only one I've played around for for about 10, 20 minutes, and that was about it. But I did notice something really strange. That it, it was either someone followed me or I followed someone, and, and each of these like follows was an NFT, which I thought was really weird. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, it, it is weird. Yeah, it was really strange. I thought, oh. Would you, would you, like, would you like to buy uh, an NFT of me following <laughs> a friend of mine? Yeah, it was really strange. It's, yeah. um, no, I, I, I think I did, I did try to use Mastodon. Um, Lens protocol, I think it was when I tried it, I was in the phase of uh, like invite only uh, and I was supposed to have something or be accepted somewhere. And then I said, you know, screw that and, you know, move on. Um, so the problem with this uh, type of decentralization, and this is something that actually surprised me when I heard it. And, uh, um, you know, in Mastodon, you have uh, Mastodon is basically a decentralized Twitter attempt. And you, anyone can run uh, their own uh, server. So you okay. have to connect, you have to choose uh, a server to connect to. So there is some kind of more central servers that are more known. And if you want to, you can just establish your own one and have your own little Twitter just for yourself and some of your friends. Yeah. And the strange thing that I heard, people there are getting blocked much quicker and for lesser i would say offenses if you if you think about it so you know any small thing can get you blocked and you know that's it like you you like at, at least in in twitter the old twitter you had initially some policies that were defining the behavior that would get you blocked yeah. uh, or suspended but here since it's more about uh this kind of rules for each community and the whim of the moderators of that community uh people just get blocked for everything yeah it's it's a uh, like it, it's it's a very slippery slope this whole like censoring and blocking people and this kind of stuff and as soon as you start it it, it kind of seems to snowball and and get worse and and stupider by the by the block yeah that, that's absolutely what's happening because, you know, the whole idea of freedom of speech is that it's absolute in terms that uh, it's not like we're going to vote about each and everything you say to determine whether it can be said or not. Uh, on the opposite, you have the right to say whatever you want yeah. and nobody can, can stop you because if, uh, you know, if we're going to vote for everything, so obviously most of the time you will be in some minority and then you will be voted out right for everything yeah and it will be true for everyone so there will be no free speech and that's exactly the point that uh decentralization in this format does not necessarily uh does not necessarily lead to free speech no it's basically just shifting the i don't know the decision making into uh, different set of hands with even less guidance <laughs> yeah. or understanding of like what's, what's even acceptable. Um, and uh, it's true for many communities, uh, like that we see like smaller communities that are trying to uh, enforce some policies. So unless it's like really well-defined, you get bullying, you get uh, you know exclusion on all the bad things that you actually wanted to avoid with decentralization. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to say here is that, like, when we talk about improving the situation with the media, and the, by the way, there was this huge story about, uh, well, I have to find it, about uh, how uh, the government actually interferes 
with uh, both Facebook and Twitter and all the main social platforms? Yeah, the, the I, I saw, I didn't read much of it at all, but I saw something about like the Twitter files. And of course, remember like the Cambridge Analytica scandal that didn't didn't get much to, uh, back in the day. I forget what it was even about, but it was, it was about like censoring and kind of directing uh, people's attention and, and these kind of things for whatever nefarious... Uh, nefarious kind of plans whoever has yeah no i what what i saw was more recent uh it was a video from coin bureau okay i think yeah yeah and uh, uh they talked about let me find it one second it was really i think a couple of weeks ago Let's see. Here is the channel. I'll find it in a second. So it was kind of uh, in-depth review. Um, well, obviously now I can find it, right? <laughs> I'll find. It. I'll tweet. I'll tweet it when I when I find it. But uh, the thing was that um, several journalists published. Um, uh, kind of journalistic investigation of uh, the relationship between uh, the government, especially states, and the social media like Facebook or Twitter. And it started back in the, uh, if you remember this story about uh, uh, Russian intervention in the uh, presidential elections, and uh, that they tried yeah. to use bots to influence people's opinions and uh, uh, all that. Yeah. So it started back then, and then it was supposed to be just kind of limited to this specific topic. But you know, like it usually happens. Uh, it didn't stop there. Basically, uh, continued to to uh, to expand, and then they said, "Oh, and what about the COVID?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. You remember the story about all the COVID uh, fake news and and all that. Yeah. So or, you know, fake news to someone's opinion. So that it, it happened there. Okay, I found it, I'll, I'll send it to you and maybe if you could tweet it with the, uh, with the space. It's called the Ministry of Truth. Uh, and uh, yeah, the Ministry of Truth is real and it's, it's really a good re uh, overview of the report that they published. So basically what they said, okay, now that we, we had this intervention and now we had the COVID problems, uh, let's just establish this new organization, which is responsible for monitoring the social media and talking to them about what's appropriate and not appropriate and what is, uh, you know, what's the truth today, basically. Yeah. What's fake news and what is not. And it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to discern what the truth is. Uh, like, <laughs> it's hard not, it, it's hard to feel like people aren't trying to mislead you in in almost every way possible <laughs> and i and i don't yes. i don't feel like this was such a problem like 10 years ago i mean maybe there was a lot of kind of stuff going on but people were more oblivious to it or it was less less common probably a combination of of the two yeah, no, it's a combination of factors. Uh, so first of all, we rely much more uh, on online information. And uh, I think the best example of that is my father. My father does not trust anything online. Like, for <laughs> yeah. example, uh, if you want to know who invented the light bulb, you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever the encyclopedia that's like the best in your country. Yeah. You go to a bookshelf, you take this book, and then you open it on the right page and you, you read, right? Because, wait a minute, what do you mean Wikipedia? Wikipedia, like who, who said that? Who, who edited that? <laughs> yeah, uh, anyone. <laughs> oh no. Anyone, really? Really, you're going to trust information that anyone can edit? And <laughs> there is something about it. Like, listen, here you can see the list of people who are all academics with high degrees from, I don't know, uh, Oxford or whatever, and they have put their name on the line and they said, yes, that's who invented the light bulb. We, we can claim that with authority. Yeah. Uh, any uh, kind of generational shift that like, I, I feel completely okay with reading something in Wikipedia because I have some, mm, I would say mechanisms that have developed over time to try to 
distinguish between something that could trust or like a, a, at least you know trust more and things that I can't. For example, when I'm reading about current events, right, something that's happening right now, and I know that it's not a final opinion, it's just some bunch of opinions of people who probably are on either side of this problem. And I, I know how to try to balance that. Yeah. But uh, when you go and you who invented something, you know, 200 years ago, there's probably less, <laughs> less arguing about who that was. Yeah. In, in some <laughs> cases. <laughs> Yeah, so it's very, very different. Now, today, when you have uh, basically a stream, like endless stream of information that you get like from the morning till the evening, or whenever you are online, uh, it's in some cases it's much more difficult to, you know, to understand like who is the person behind this opinion, even right. Yeah. And this is where we have the problem of bots. By the way, I, I thought about something uh, earlier today. Like, everybody complains about bots in Twitter, right? Yeah. I mean, all of these bots, they use API. So you, you, Twitter knows who the bot is, right? If you are tweeting from the interface directly, mm. you're probably a person, I would say. Yeah, okay. So, like, that makes sense, yeah. So they would be able to... Why, why, why don't you just put some kind of a dot, you know, that says this is this tweet comes from an API. At least I would know that probably or my, maybe it's a bot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. But uh, in general, <laughs> by, by the way, today I read an absolutely uh, fascinating story. Uh, you know this new AI chat application? Uh, chat GPT or something like that? I do. I've played around with it a little bit. Uh, obviously, like, saw everyone talking about, oh, my God, AI is incredible. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I... so it turns out, turns out uh, some people uh, <laughs> some people are tried to uh, generate answers for Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow is a platform which is uh, used by developers, software developers around the world. Yeah for questions and answers about, you know, specific questions about programming. Um, and it's very popular and it's very widely used. So for example, if I want to check like how to do something in Python I go to Stack Overflow and I say how to do this in Python and you have a bunch of answers yeah. and you use them to either copy the, the examples that they provide or understand better. So people uh, use this uh, AI chat to generate answers for, for questions about programming and eventually it was blocked by the platform <laughs> at least for now and the reason for that and this is amazing the reason for that was that it generated answers that sounded correct but were actually misleading ah okay because it's i mean like it's a a language it's made from language right so it's not really it's maybe I'm not saying this right, but it's it's yeah. like uh, it's not so accurate, but it's like precise enough for it to look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. It sounds convincing. Yeah. But it's actually saying nonsense. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my god, we, we created a virtual demagogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, and you know, sometimes it happens in real life. You 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 run into a person. He says something that sounds like vaguely rational, but then when you try to think about it, you you get nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and and this is basically the, the machine version of that, right? So it can connect words in order that sounds semantically and synthetically correct, but the meaning is not there. Yeah. Uh, it's la now lacking intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. So when you are talking about programming, it's relatively easy to detect because, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, eventually it either works or it doesn't. Yeah. But when you're talking about more complicated uh, topics, uh, and, and many years ago, even before this whole AI thing, there was an interesting research, uh, and there, was, there is even a book published about it, and it's, it's really funny. So basically what they did, these researchers, they took, um, I think, specific passages from different philosophers, okay. mostly modern philosophers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't exactly remember what they what 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 was the experiment, but they tried to like to 
understand whether there is any sense in what they're Yeah. And in many cases, there was like virtually none. <laughs> yeah, the, no surprise. So, <laughs> yeah, so now, now when like, it still requires some effort from a person to sit down and write this nonsense, but if you can generate it automatically and you're talking about topics which are politics, you know, economics or things that you can actually uh, really complicated to, to, to explain and describe, and you're using a machine to do it, uh, that makes like, uh, it's virtually impossible to, to, to even understand like wh where to start untangling that. Yeah, and, and this like later gained popularity, the chat GPT, is this by the guy, is this from the guy that did that like scan your eyeballs world coin thing? Is it the same dude? Mm -hmm. Do you remember? I, I have no idea. No. I, I think it's the same guy. Do you remember the, like, Worldcoin? No. There was Worldcoin, and to get the coins, you had to scan your eyeballs, like the retina, and they had this big, like, robot circle-looking thing, and you had to kind of face up against <laughs> and scan your eyeballs. And, and actually, like, one of the things, one of the funny things that happened then was that some programmer like spun up a bunch of eyes created from like using AI to to generate the images and he was just making a bunch Imagine. of fake eyes and getting all this world coin or or something like that but i think it's the same dude oh wow uh, yeah well you know uh, as we know if it can be gamed it will be gamed right yeah for sure uh, yeah, so going back to kind of the, the big, big, where we started. So, yeah, not, like, not only you have a problem with uh, figuring out who decides what the truth is and figuring out who wrote this statement, whether it was a person with a real opinion or a machine that just generated a bunch of, you know, sentences that sound vaguely, uh, you know, logical, but any meaning or intention. Um, and on top of that, you have uh, unlimited capability for you know spreading them. It's really a good question. And uh, yeah, so for example, like there is an opinion that if we take this really to, to you know this, to create a decentralized uh, social network uh, with privacy without censorship, uh, this is also a problem because if you don't have any censorship. This means that no organization uh, will be able to support it, right? So you, you will not be able to invest in it because there are always some rules in some country where this organization resides, which will still, you know, become sort of regulation. Yeah. And it means that either you create it as a complete kind of, uh, um, I don't know, crowdfunding pirate style, you know, thing. Uh, without any support from any investors or any, any institutional, uh, you know, players, uh, which is difficult because, after all, it all requires a lot of resources. It requires uh, servers. It requires storage uh, for all the memes and images that people upload there. Yeah, uh, and it all costs money. So th that's kind of the the dilemma right now, right? So we don't have a clear understanding of how to censor it if we need to censor it. And if we don't censor it at all, then what will happen? It will all be full with porn and, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's basically the problem. Yeah. And, and like, it's with anything that's like uncensored, it seems to, it seems to really speed run into like the, the worst kind of content uh, available. Yeah. Now, approaches that were proposed or like somewhere is that you have, <clears throat> you have a decentralized infrastructure but the front ends, basically the access to that infrastructure is, uh, is, is monitored. So, for example, uh, let's say uh, you have an infrastructure where all tweets reside without any uh, censorship whatsoever. But there is an official client that only shows you the things that, let's say, Twitter shows you today, right? Yeah. Now, the problem with that approach is that... Uh, the way today's regulation works, even for storing something that's illegal, even if you don't like, unless it's completely out of your control, like what you store, you know what? I'm not sure even, even about that. Like, for example, um, 
when you store some encrypted information that you don't know the contents of, like, are you still responsible for it? It's, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. Good question, though. Yeah, so if you know in any way, you're responsible. That's for sure. That's yeah. why all of these social networks go through uh, very strict you know, mechanisms to avoid uh, things from copyright infringement up to uh, you know, child pornography, God forbid, or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but, so in fact, like if, if, we, if we think about it, like if you really create an environment in which you can store information, and you can get paid because you have to get paid for storing this information. Otherwise, you will just you know waste your resources and waste your money yeah. uh, on whatever. But without uh, the need to be responsible for what you're storing and then only provide access to whatever you want to, to have. Like, for example, I'm not sure myself that I really want to be part of this completely anarchistic kind of you know, social network. Not necessarily. I maybe want to have this option, but on a daily basis, probably I will still stick with something more conventional. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the only way to even get to this point where you can say, yeah, this one censored, you can put whatever you want, and then you as a consumer decide what is that you want to consume, and then you face the consequences as a consumer, but at least you have the option. Yeah, and, and I guess like in a way this is good because it allows you to like kind of curate what you want to see and, and how you want to see it and this kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. That was like, you know, the original intent, like who you follow, right? You basically yeah. follow people uh, or organizations or projects that you're interested in. The problem is that <laughs> in the current situation, even before you decide who to follow, uh, some of this information will be either removed or shadow banned, which is very effective practice. Yeah. Um, th this is, by the way, also a very interesting uh, question because even though we can imagine decentralized, uh, we can imagine decentralized like network as as you know as a social network mechanism, but it's much more difficult to think about decentralized search. Yeah. What, uh, and, what, why, yeah. why is decentralized search uh, a, a more difficult concept? So it, it has to do with uh, um, the way search uh, architecture works. So you have to kind of collect inputs from many different sources into some, uh, I would say, central location. It can be decentralized uh, like a, on an architecture level. It can run on many different computers, but eventually, when let's say you go to Google and you search for I don't know a car, right? Yeah. Now this is exactly this where the problem starts because let's say you have a perfect page rank. Perfect page rank says uh, whoever provides like more relevant content for you, so it was kind of searched more, clicked more, up, upvoted, whatever. Uh, this is the first result that you're going to see. Yeah. Okay. And. Uh, once again, whoever does this calculation, it has to be, like it's still centralized. You cannot do this calculation in in a decentralized way. Yeah, could you uh, like would one kind of alternative be to having more open uh, and transparency around like what the search is doing, and and even have like a couple of options as to which search you're using. Uh, yeah, we we kind of been there uh, a few years ago before Google took over everything. Yeah, uh, we had uh, Yahoo, we had uh, Alta Vista, Bing. Um, I, I saw some. Bing. I saw someone. Yeah, I saw someone using this in a shop the other day, and I I was very surprised that anyone was using Bing. <laughs> uh, it's like this joke goes like, "What's a Microsoft Explorer?" Uh, Windows, yeah. So Microsoft Explorer, it's it's like. You know, downloader for Chrome basically. You use it to download Chrome, and then you, you're off. Yeah. Uh, so Bing is the yeah, to, to to find the better search engine. Um, but in terms of like the algorithms that are used, it's more to create uh, this in a decentralized way. And there is always somebody who needs to rank to calculate like what to show you. And uh, uh, in, in in case of Google, obviously. Uh, it's a for-profit for organization, and it uses this search to uh, generate profit. And the way they generate profit is uh, by showing you ads. But, and this is also kind of the problem, uh, by organizing the results. Because the amount of people who go to the second page in the Google search results is practically zero. 
so if you are looking for something, it has to be on the first page somewhere, and uh, otherwise uh, you will never find it. And this gives whoever controls the search a lot of power, because basically when they want to hide some information, they, they don't have to remove it from anywhere. It will You will just not be able to find it. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is completely you know equivalent, right? So uh, who cares if there is some website that tells you the truth if nobody can get to it? Yeah, and and this is like uh, this is one of the problems with trying to like discern what the truth is and and find like information that you can be okay to to like settle on. Is that like with the internet and social media and and all of this stuff? There's just so much information uh, to wade through that it, that you do pretty much have to rely on like the likes of search engines and and this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Now, <laughs> just you know, to add uh, a kind of another problem on top of all of these problems is that uh, the recommendation algorithms that are used today, what they're doing is they're basically narrowing your point of view because they're showing you things that you like and not showing you things you don't like. Yeah. So you, if you click enough likes, uh, you know, you just basically will never see an opposing point of view ever again in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I've noticed this on Twitter when I use it. Like, uh, if I start like liking someone's tweets, then I just keep seeing them like more and more, and so I'm like snowballing into into just having a fade of of a few people. Yeah, no, Twitter Twitter is a nightmare. I mean, yeah. uh, like. Let me give you an example. Weirdly, like, I just never see tweets from my wife. Even though I have, like, sometimes I like them, I always, I go to her feed explicitly. They never show on my, on my, uh, you know, feed. Strange. I have no idea why, it's, but it's very weird. Yeah. Like, usually she's, you know, posting photos of our cats and I'm liking the cats, right? That's what <laughs> yeah. I do. That's what, that's what Where's works. the cats? Put the cats on my feed. Exactly. And then she says, why didn't you like the latest photo of a cat? And I'm like, whoa, it never showed it to me. And I mean, <laughs> okay, I will have to go. Ah, you're not following me close enough on Twitter. Yeah, that's how this kind of how it starts. Um, okay, so we are almost at the time. So what I am like would like to say is kind of, kind of closing remarks is a couple of things. So first of all, uh, the fact that we're not there yet doesn't mean that we should stop trying, right? Yeah. In terms of understanding how to create a better decentralized uh, world, both in finance and social, that's for sure. And also I think that a lot of interesting technologies uh, that we have in BIM today can be used during this process. I think there is a um, kind of importance for anonymity at least, or at least uh, understanding how this identity works in terms of uh, um, being able to distinguish between, you know, real people and bots and between, uh, you know, people who you do want to follow and understand their opinion and not. Um, I'm not sure we're going to, like, explicitly try to, to, to do something about it right now, but I definitely see interesting mechanisms uh, that can be integrated into existing systems, even maybe Lens Protocol at some point, um, just to provide this kind of better privacy for people who use social media today. Yeah. Um, yeah, something to think about in general. Um, and uh, we'll run into interesting stories about these topics. Please send them to, to us or Telegram. And uh, we're always looking for new things to read and to research. Absolutely. And I, or... I have been not looking at Telegram, but I see there's a few questions in the Telegram chat. Is it okay? Great. We have a few minutes Absolutely. to go through them, right? Uh, a few things people were wanting some clarification on. I'm just going to go through them. There's about five or so. First one, what is the holdup with removing the check marks? Weeks ago, we, weeks yeah. ago we reached agreement potentially in January. Yes, we did. Okay, so the check marks uh, were removed, and if you still see them right now, it's because of a caching problem. So it was not enough, turned out, to just remove the ones that said, yeah, this asset is checkmarked. Uh, we also needed to actually say, 
no, this asset is no longer check marked explicitly, okay. which we did, and it's supposed next few days. If not, we will continue to research that. Check marks are gone. Cool. No discussion there. We absolutely accept the point of view of whoever asked that question, and I know who it is. Yeah. I, I, totally. I, almost, I almost said this the other day because there's a little bit of commotion like uh, when the new wallet came out and, and, and this was the case. And I almost said this is maybe like a caching issue. And then I stopped myself because I realized I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number number two, why and how was the decision made on which assets to enable by default and which to have to opt in and what prerequisites were used to choose said tokens? They were beloved to... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we will talk about it in depth next week for sure because uh, I promise. Once again, there was no decision. It's using the same kind of mechanism as before. And it's not like, it, it's a bug as well. We need to release a new version and we will fix that. We're waiting for a few more changes to put into that, just not to make like, you know, a, a release with just one update, but we still need to decide whether we want to have everything on by default or everything off by default because from what I understand, any any option in between of deciding what is on and what is off is like off the table. Yeah, and I reckon like at this stage, this is just my personal opinion. I reckon at this stage it would, or rather, it could be okay to have everything like on, but soon it will become like too many assets. So being off by default will probably be better. That's my thinking. Uh, it's a good question. I'll tell you what the problem is. Now there was also a suggestion to turn on whatever you're currently having. Uh, which is okay for existing users, but it's a problem for new users. Yeah. And also we have to take into consideration that once we have, let's say, uh, the DEX and uh, you have uh, liquidity uh, in some pool and you will, give, you, you will be issued an LP tokens. Yeah. Uh, so it's a problem if you enable the asset the moment you receive it, because then you will be airdropped sheet and it will be enabled by default. Yeah. So yeah, this, this specific, like, case of what should be the default for initial kind of setup for a new user. Uh, I, it's still open question. I would love to discuss it uh, uh, both in BIM community and in PRISM. By the way, we can also do a text AMA. I think it, it's a good format because uh, my current problem is that like I, uh, you know, I do not follow the discussions closely and then somebody like pings me every once in a while, which is great, but I have to get into there, like understand the context. Yeah. Maybe it would be a good idea to have a time where everybody is like, free at their machines in the evening yeah, and, you know, sit down and have an AMA, I'm, I, I'm all for that. Like a weekly office hour or something like this. And I, You know, <laughs> not necessarily weekly, but, yeah. but let's, put, <laughs> let's at least close this problem because it, there was a lot of uh, uh, discussions around it and all of these discussions are absolutely valid and, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Should be should be considered and discussed, and uh, we need to agree of what we want to do there. Absolutely. The third question, I think, is kind of like a moot point, uh, given that like it's not how it's meant to be, and and it's going to be fixed soon. But I read it anyway. Do you agree with already being opted into further reinforces the false perceived validity of the place, uh, placing more risk on on users? Yeah. Yeah. We discussed that. I don't agree. We should not uh, provide false validity for everything. Yeah, and 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 I'm like, um, I've I've mentioned this many times. I think it will, like it will only get worse, and and so I'm excited to to get rid of check marks. Uh, number three, why was the new feature? I don't know what the new feature is talking about here. Why was the new feature given higher priority than the agreed community endangering check marks being removed? I mean, it's just the the same point, and and I think that it should be be cleared up now anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. One second, I just want to expand on that yeah. uh, for a second. Uh, so, as you know, uh, there are like different people working uh, on BIM at the same time on different areas. So every once in a while, it can happen that somebody is working on something which is not check marks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so it's it's, it's fine. We're working on something new. It doesn't mean that we are abandoning or in any way reprioritizing the existing work. Yeah, exactly. Um, give me one second. 
Oh, this is an interesting question, but maybe it should be extrapolated out and, and given some more time, maybe in the next space as well. Uh, should we ask Beam team to communicate on how they're planning to use the remaining time of the dev tax uh, and how, or sorry, also what will be their revenue generating business model afterwards? Uh, and, I, and I think that probably needs more time than, than what we have now. Uh, yeah, I would like to know the answer for that as well. <laughs> yeah, and and if if anybody knows a revenue generating model for all yeah. that, I, I, I'm, I'm all, I'll be the first in line. I'm, I'm looking for for multiple revenue generating uh, activities myself. <laughs> the, one of the things I don't think it's here, but I did see it somewhere, and I think it was also from DB, and they said like how to get more community kind of developers involved and in, in partaking in this and and i just wanted to say that like this is one of the big reasons that we have uh that we have set up like the bounty program and doing the beam feature requests and this kind of thing and and this will also open be open up to to like wider developers than the core devs and this kind of stuff yeah so one of the things that uh uh, you know, are definitely moving way too slowly is our efforts to create a welcoming environment for new developers who join like, and can get started working on Beam. Uh, documentation is something that's still work in progress, but moving slowly. Uh, another thing that we're doing, and uh, by the way, like kind of one of the reasons why we, we do delay release of some applications is we're trying to get to a more organized infrastructure in terms of the front end. Um, basically, the web part of the application that you see in your wallet, right, the UI. Um, we have started with developing a few applications. It was done by different developers uh, in kind of different ways. Uh, so I would like, before we release, uh, obviously, the, the scam app and, uh, and the DEX front-end, um, to get to a more unified infrastructure there. We're working on that. I will hope it will occur sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and this will allow you to, um, like if you want to develop a new application to easier understand the structure, uh, copy paste more examples and use them coherently instead of just trying to understand, you know, trying to kind of uh, understand two completely different styles of implementation like for several applications, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And, and, and this like, Although it slows things slows things down a little a little bit in the short term, uh, massively beneficial and will like speed the in, in the medium and long term. Yeah, that's that's what we're hoping. Um, yeah, we have one last question from Joe S, uh, and I think it's a great one to to wrap up on. And the question is, do you think that decentralized exchanges will eventually replace centralized ones? Uh, they will definitely be very large part of, um, of the market. Yeah. Uh, they will not replace because in some cases, uh, centralized exchanges just, you know, answer kind of different questions. But I think that um, this kind of balancing mechanism that invented by Uniswap guys and then widely adopted, I think it's absolutely genius. Yeah. Uh, I think it provides a great infrastructure to trade without intermediaries. Um, and uh, this, we see like every day, like I, I see kind of more projects that are trying to uh, take this into different directions, expand this model, uh, create new variations, create new kind of uh, algorithms and mechanisms to balance, uh, you know, different liquidity pairs. Um, yeah, so for example, um, like Uniswap V3, uh, which is uh, one of the more kind of widely used variations today. I think Uniswap V2 is less used than V3 today. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant in its complexity. Like if you're trying to understand the mess uh, behind this and like how it operates uh, with this non-fungible liquidity, when you put your liquidity into a specific range uh, of prices and then you rebalance it every once in a while when the price moves, uh, very complicated stuff. And um, like um, just one of the many improvements done over this mechanism. Yeah, and and like I I want to back up 
and and give a very brief thought on this is that like there will always be demand for centralized exchanges but i hope that like decentralized exchanges start to take up an even greater market share than they've they've already started to do so sure hope so wicked yeah all right so thank you very much for being here um let's set up a you know uh, probably early next week uh sort of kind of discussion about how to finalize the uh, topic of uh asset enabled or disabled by default yeah and then we will we will re release the version that will support it and by the time we will also have some additional improvements there wicked sounds good yeah Thanks a lot. And thank you. And, and thank the community for all of the great questions and, and feedback. Okay. Quick. Thanks. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.